there, and welcome back to Season 1, Episode 52 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name's Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Jason Romano. I first uh, heard Jason Romano on his um, podcast, Sports Spectrum. I would um, encourage you to subscribe to it. I love it because it's um, the place where faith and sports collide, or not collide, we'll say intersect. That's probably a less uh, um, traumatic term, but um, just to have learned a lot from Jason. And um, then I picked up his two books. Um, the first one was Live to Forgive. And then the second one um, is The Uniform of Leadership. And he, both phenomenal books. I'd encourage you um, to get both of those. And uh, I learned a lot from him, um, his personal story and Live to Forgive. He talks about his relationship with his, his father, who was an alcoholic, and um, the trials and the challenges he had in that. And and the interesting thing is, is he's involved in sports, but some of the most trying times in the relationship seem to revolve around sporting events. And um, it was just very interesting to learn from Jason on, on forgiveness. And um, then he talks about in uniform for leadership, um, just some lessons he's learned from rubbing shoulders with athletes and coaches and leaders um, when he was working at ESPN. And I respect Jason so much. He had the for somebody who loves sports like I do, he had the dream job working at ESPN, getting to be around these athletes, and um, but he felt God calling him into another area of ministry, and um, he he listened, and uh, he'll share a little bit about that on the podcast, and just loved um, learning from Jason, and um, appreciated him spending some time with us on the podcast today. We'll put a link for his his podcast in the show notes, and also a link for his both of his books. Do want to thank the sponsor for our today today's episode, which will be Dr. Sean Ricker, Advanced Care and Friendly Service at Cumberland Optical. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here with uh, somebody that I listened to his podcast. And I think this is actually the first time I've actually interviewed somebody that I listened to their podcast. Jason Romano um, also have read both of his books and um, have learned a lot from him, um, from his courage, his wisdom and his insight. Jason, um, so excited to have you on the podcast with us today. Could you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience maybe that, that, that are not yet listening to Sports Spectrum and have not yet read your books? Yeah, thank you, Aaron. This is great. Uh, I've, you know, I am the host of the Sports Spectrum podcast, but I'm also the producer and the editor and the social media <laughs> director and the title upon titles because I'm the yeah. only one who works on the show right now. Um, but that's been a real blessing the last three and a half years to work on that show and to work on that brand that that we call it a, a media ministry, yeah. which I think is a pretty neat way to kind of title what we do. Uh, and we tell stories of sports and faith. We intersect the world of sports with Jesus and yeah. uh, talk to athletes and others in the world of sports about their faith in the Lord. So we've been yeah. doing that for a while. Uh, you mentioned my two books. I'm an author of Live to Forgive and the Uniform of Leadership and kind of writing two books, which is just you know, insane. And we'll probably get into that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, cause I never really wanted to be a writer or an author. I still really don't <laughs> just to be honest, Aaron. Um, but we are, here we are. God yeah. takes us to places that maybe we're not thinking we can go to. Um, yeah. for 17 years, I was a producer and worked at ESPN, uh, here in Connecticut where I live now. And, uh, that's kind of where I was able to really gain the experience and the, even the platform, if you want to call it that, yeah. to be able to kind of branch out into these other areas, uh, that I, 
that I'm in. I'm yeah. also a husband and a dad and have a 16 year old daughter who's in 11th wow. grade and yeah. uh, working through a pandemic, just like all of us. And <laughs> it's been, it's been a great ride, my friend. It's been a great ride. Yeah, my daughter, Isabel, is also in 11th grade and uh, started looking at colleges and all that goes with that and it makes me realize I'm not as young as I thought I was. So, um, Seriously. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's an exciting time. Jason, um, as we jump in, you know, I, as I read your, your first book, um, Live to Forgive, it just resonated really with me because missionaries come to the field um, and we come, we're living in a, in a fallen world and we get to the field and then we realize, man, we ha- I have some weaknesses that maybe we're not as gaping as weaknesses, but when you get on the field and you're trying to serve God in a place that is dark, it, it can be it can be tough. And then we realize we have wounds and um, walking through those wounds and and um, maybe they, they weren't so sensitive, but you get out of, on the field and you don't have a broad of uh, social support, they become obvious. And um, and when with your book, Live to Forgive, it just really challenged me. And I think we have a ton that we can learn from you today. So would you just share a little bit about um, your, the story of Live to Forgive? I don't want to give it all away because um, I want people to get your book. Um, but just share a little bit about the, your story. And then I would just love to hear your wisdom on... Um, on how people that maybe are feeling hurt, how they can begin to process that and turn that over to God. Yeah, the the book was, again, uh, going back to what I just said, it's really something I never really wanted to pursue. Uh, I mean, when whenever people go through uh, a tough time in their life, we'll say, it's not something that you... I mean, maybe in the social media age, it is in a little, a little bit, but it's not something I feel like that people want to brag about. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost there's a shame to it. There's a, a hidden... Um, uh, area in your life, I think that we want to kind of keep it from the public. You know, we, I think of my grandmother who's since passed, you know, she's been dead now 10 years, but she was always very protective and didn't want the, the ugliness to get out. Yeah. And so we had a lot of ugliness growing up. Uh, the story really revolves in the book around the relationship I had uh, or maybe lack thereof with my father, mm-hmm. uh, my dad. And, uh, you know, from the time I was five or six, My parents were divorced and uh, really from that moment, there was a brokenness and a wound, you know, in my personal life and my brother's lives as well. I have two younger brothers that, um, that continued and it spiraled to a place where it got really, really bad, um, snowballed, I guess is a better word, uh, in the relationship with my father as we got older. Uh, He struggled uh, with alcoholism Hmm. uh, and that alcoholism, that addiction to alcohol led to a lot of wounds that caused uh, really just uh, brokenness and bitterness and, you know, uh, put a a giant dent, I guess, in the relationship between myself and him, between my brothers and him, really between all of our family and my dad. And, uh, you know, it was, it was very confusing. I tell people a very confusing relationship early on. Hmm. As I got older, um, you know, I thank God for my mom because she was kind of the one that allowed us to still experience life and chase after our dreams and things like that. Uh, But there was always this wound in this, in the background of my dad who, you know, I give him credit. He fought, he really didn't want to to be a guy who continued to struggle with alcohol and have a relationship that was broken with his, with his kids, but he just couldn't, he couldn't beat it. And uh, when he did let the alcohol get the best of him, which was a lot, um, that just put a, a giant knife in, in the backs of all of, uh, of our family and uh, really didn't allow us to be able to trust him, to be able to, uh, in a lot of ways, forgive him, which I know mm. we'll get into. Um, 
to really have a normal relationship with him. And there was always this sort of uh, awareness in the background or even fear, I guess, that uh, I wonder if dad's going to be drunk or sober today. Mm -hmm. And that was always the question. And uh, it put a, a, you know, a stain for me because personally, just like any other son would want, you know, you want to have that relationship with your dad. You want him to be there, just be available, just have good memories. And, uh, you know, he missed my high school graduation, college graduation, our wedding and the birth of my daughter. Like those are the four big giant pillar moments in a person's life. And my dad wasn't there for any of them because of this disease, this addiction to alcohol. And I had a lot of bitterness over the years in moving forward from that. Let's just say that. Yeah. But you you share in the book that you're, you know, you get, you're worked at ESPN, you're involved in sports, but as you share in the book, a lot of that intersection of your, your dad's um, battle and challenge with alcoholism seemed to intersect with sporting events. And um, you shared about those. And it was fascinating for me because you went in, you went into sports, um, you know, I mean, you pursued that. And so how did that, how did that all come about? It's a great question because, and I, you know, you and I talked a little bit on email before, and I was actually talking to my wife about this yesterday as we were watching some sports. And I said, I'm going to be asked, I think the idea of my dad and I, you know, the very, I tell people the very thing that should have brought us together, which was sports actually tore us apart. Hmm. And other people say to me, well, then why did you want to pursue sports and be in sports? If that's like this, this sort of looming thing over you that you're thinking about your father all the time. And that's a great question because sports was the, 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 the common barrier. And I'll, I'll say this now, it still is with my father and I, yeah. as we've reconciled, it's the common barrier. It's the one thing that really when we're on the phone talking or having a conversation today, it's still what we gravitate towards or really what he gravitate to- gravitates toward. I don't mind talking about deeper things or <laughs> other things. In fact, I encourage it. If you don't want to talk about sports, man, let's go. Because yeah. I've lived sports for so many years of my life that yeah. I actually enjoy talking about other things too. But my dad just gravitates towards that. And, and that was what it was since I was a little kid. And yeah. so when you're a little kid, you want to you wanna gravitate toward your dad. So what yeah. do you find? The common ground? Well, you find yeah. sports. And my yeah. grandfather was that, was that way as well. So I played sports. I watched sports. Uh, you know, I, it was my God. I tell people when yeah. I was growing up, I mean, even after becoming a Christian and beginning a walk with the Lord, I would say sports in some ways was still a very large God in my life. Yeah. And I don't really know why I would gravitate towards something that would remind me of my father. It's an interesting question because uh, I don't know if there was this longing to to find something positive in my dad's life. So I wanted to make him proud by going towards sports. I'm really thinking here that this wasn't even stuff I put in the book because I wasn't really challenged with that question, but it really made me think yesterday and today about, I wonder why... I gravitate towards sports. I wonder why I love sports. I wonder why I get angry. Not as angry as I did when I was younger, <laughs> but when my team loses or blows a yeah. game, yeah. I, I still have this, this sense of sports almost uh, you know, ruining my day or ruining my mood. Yeah. And my wife will call me out on that quite often, which is good. That's why we have wives. But I think, I wonder why I get so angry. It's just sports. Yeah. But is that 
something is that a box in the attic which yeah. i know is a, a little theme in my book but is that a box in the attic that i really never unpacked yeah as i go because i still love sports and i'm still yeah. working in sports and oh, yeah. i'm still thankful to be this guy who's got to really have a career in the sports industry but yeah it's an interesting thought and i, I don't know if i can give you a real good no, answer no no Aaron, it's, it's <laughs> it makes it makes uh this is this was fascinating to me because some of your highs as I read your book and you know I I listen to you on your podcast so it's not like I know you on a personal level but I, I listen to you frequently um, yeah. and so you you kind of get some insight into somebody's life but it seems like some of the highest points of your life you've gotten to meet and rub shoulders with some great athletes and some great honestly people of the faith too um, and uh, that intersection was just a, a fascinating a fascinating thing as I read your book and just something that um, came to to my mind. And so, Jason, you know, you, you shared in the book, your dad was not there for graduations, the graduations, your marriage. When did you come to faith? Was that in the process as you were processing this or? Um, yeah. Yeah, I was older. Um, I mean, I grew up as a kid going to occasionally going to Catholic church with my grandfather. Uh, my parents weren't real strict on faith or religion. Um, you know, we grew up in a, you know, an Italian family in a very small town in upstate New York called Ravina. And, uh, you know, what everybody did was basically work hard, yeah. play sports and maybe go to Catholic church on Sundays. And that yeah. was about it. Yeah. And then, you know, go and then eat a lot, of course, because yeah. <laughs> we're Italian. <laughs> and my grandmother made the best meatballs and the best, what she called pit sales, which were uh, fried bread dough that you'll ever have. But, yeah. uh, Church wasn't a real important thing for us. I mean, it was kind of just a, a checked box that I would do with my grandfather, who would then promise to take us bowling or go get some pizza or something or go watch sports after uh, church. And so you just kind of did it out of, um, I guess, in a way to get something else, kind of like yeah. you would do at home with your chores yeah. so your mom will give you a toy or whatever. Right. Um, so that was really it. And I, you know, I did what you're supposed to do as a good Catholic boy. I made my first communion. I was baptized as a baby. Uh, I had, uh, what's it, confirmation, I think it's called, when you're 14 or 15. So I made all those, but I really never knew or cared yeah. about God. And so relationship, the idea of, of it being a relationship with Jesus was so foreign to me. Hmm. The first time I ever heard that word, relationship with Jesus, and it really sunk in when I was 26 years old. Yeah. So... That didn't, you know, compute at all for me. Uh, but I will say this. My brother, Chris, he's the, the middle brother of three brothers, three boys. I'm the oldest. He's the middle. And my little brother, Damon, is the youngest. But Chris was the first in our family in 1998 to begin this relationship with Jesus. And, uh, you know, his life was kind of spiraling out of control and going down a bad, a bad road uh, during that time. And so when he got saved... It was a radical transformation for him hmm. to the point where we thought he was stuck in a cult or something because yeah. he was <laughs> a completely different person. And when people change like that, I think your first initial thought, especially for somebody who's not a believer, yeah. was I'm glad that you're not where you were, but you're really, re you're really weird and strange now. And yeah. I, I don't know if I like this, Chris, either. <laughs> um, and so there was this process for a year or two of watching my brother uh, transform. You know, Romans 12 talks about the transforming or renewing of, the, of our minds and be transformed. And my brother Chris was transformed. And I watched this for three years with him. And initially, I kind of was weird and it was just whatever. But then I watched him get married uh, in the church with a, another believer. His wife, Tara, is actually the one that led 
my brother to the Lord. Um, so she's really the first person to yeah. thank in all this. But I watched him get married. I watched him faithfully love his wife. I watched him have their first child, my, my nephew, Sam, who's now 20 years old. And I watched how they love their son mm-hmm. and it became attractive. Yeah. I was like, that is awesome. And I want to be just like my brother. Yeah. And weirdly enough, he's younger, but I wanted to be like my younger brother. And as I watched that, uh, again, it was attractive. I don't know if I was attracted to the faith aspect initially, but that was the center of why my brother was the way he was. Yeah. So Mother's Day 2001, my brother invites me over to his house and we go and um, to church that morning. My brother got saved, Aaron, you'll like this, in a uh, very charismatic Pentecostal church. Okay. If you remember, we went to Catholic church as kids. This is not a knock on any denomination at all. But if you're putting the spectrum of church experiences, right. one is way over here and yeah. the other one is way over on the other side. It's a completely different experience. You walk into a, a, a charismatic, you know, uh, Pentecostal church and you got dancing and singing and raising yeah. hands and clapping and even some people speaking in languages that you don't recognize. Right. And uh, just, you know, a pastor who's given this really sort of fire and brimstone sermon. And it's just, it's weird, but yeah. you know, now it's to me, that's just uh, as the spirit right. and I right. love it. But back then I was yeah. weirded out by the whole thing, but I do remember going to church that day. It was probably the third time I had gone to that church with my brother and then he just brought me back to the house and we were hanging out with the whole family. It was Mother's Day, so all the family was over at my brother's house just hanging out. And, you know, him and I found ourselves in the kitchen and he just asked me a question. He said, Jay, uh, what'd you think of the service? Such a simple question. Yeah. And, you know, I said to him, you know, Chris, that wasn't that bad. It was okay. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, but that's the best answer he could have had me say. Yeah. Because in the past, I thought it was just wacky and crazy. Right. But he said, you didn't think it was that bad? I said, yeah, "Yeah, it was okay. He's like, come here with me. So him and I, we take his trip to the back bedroom of his house. And uh, in his bedroom, he sits me down on the bed and uh, he says, listen, I've been wanting to do this a while, but I I really didn't want to just force anything that I've ever been experienced through onto you. Yeah. But do you mind if I share you the gospel and just explain to you what that all right experience that you had was, I said, yeah, my heart was open that day. That's all it was, Aaron. And so he shared with me the gospel for 20 minutes and uh, I didn't understand it, to be honest with you. I didn't have all the the answers. I didn't know anything about really truly what salvation was or the cross meant or um, even Easter and Christmas and why we celebrate and who Jesus is and our need for a savior. I didn't understand all of it but it made sense. Yeah. And so my heart was open that day and I said, yes. And I prayed with my brother and, uh, you know, sort of started the journey. I tell people I accepted Christ that day, but I really didn't know who he was, Yeah. but that was the start. And a yeah. lot of times in our relationship with the Lord, we just need to say yes and start. Yeah. And then everything will kind of work itself out. I really believe that if you pursue God. Yeah, so sure. I went on a journey for the next year to pursue God. And yeah. it's been what, 18, 19 years now, and uh, I haven't walked away yet. So that's, I don't think that's happening. Let's put it that way. God has been amazing to me, and I I truly am so thankful to have this unbelievable um, Savior and trust in Him that I never thought I'd have. And I'm thankful to my brother for having the guts, to be quite honest, to, to ask, you know, ask me that question and to 
introduced me to Christ. For sure. And then, Jason, as you you said you, you, gave, you turned your life over to Christ, and then, um, you know, your dad, is your relationship with your dad, is that still going on? Is it still the, the same as it is? And how, you know, another question is, I read your book too, is, you know, as we, we refer to God as our Heavenly Father, and um, a lot of times we can take our relationship with our earthly father and project that onto our heavenly father and all that. So how did, how did your relationship with Christ, did that help you walk in the forgiveness of your father? Or how, how did that all how did that all work out? So it was 2001 when my dad, or when I said yes to the Lord. So that's yeah. when you begin the journey with Jesus. It wasn't until 2013 until I was able to fully understand forgiveness and forgive my father. So we're yeah. talking about 12 years there right. of still very broken, very confusing, sure. very messed up relationship with my dad. Um, I tell people my view, I think my view of God as father was hard for me to really fully comprehend because I didn't have the example of an earthly father hmm. that I could, I could relate to. Yeah. Cause the earthly father, you know, is supposed to love you unconditionally is supposed yeah. to be there for you is supposed to be, you know, tough on you, discipline you, but also just be there with a big hug right. when you need it and, uh, and to be present in your life. And so when I look at my heavenly father now, I feel that yeah. and I understand that, but it took a while because my, my own father wasn't that person that I, yeah. that, and every son deserves to have, right? Yeah. As a dad. And listen, I fail yeah. with my daughter constantly now, but I really try to be the example to my daughter of what my dad wasn't to me, hoping mm. and praying that my daughter, when she really does truly encounter God, she's, she said yes to Christ and she's walking with the Lord, but I think she's going to have her own Right. journey that she's going to have to come to a place where she says yes on her own and not just yeah. say yes because her parents had that faith. And I think when she does, I'm praying that she has a, a much clearer picture of who God is because I was in her life. And yeah. I'm not saying I'm God, trust me on this, but yeah. I'm there for her. I love her unconditionally. Right. I try to discipline her when she needs to be disciplined, but right. at the same time, do it out of love. And I just think that there is this, there's this gap for me in my life for many years because I never really could understand or truly accept God as father. I think it was a lot easier for me to say Jesus as Lord or Jesus as my savior, mm. but God as my father, even yeah. though I might pray, you know, our father who art in heaven, or right. I might pray, Father God, help me with this. I really had that struggle, I think, for many years on who God was as a father because of my own situation with my yeah. dad. Yeah. Um, but it took me, again, like I said, 11, 12 years to fully come to a place where I could forgive him. Yeah. And as I read your book, you talk about your dad, that, you know, in a relationship, you know, I, I've been blessed with a father who created stability. I had a dad that was the rock. Um, him and my mom, they, they loved the Lord. They, they were the same people at, at home, at church, at work, wherever they were at. Um, they, they were solid. And so that stability, but as I read in your book, it was almost the relationship with your dad seemed to be going to sporting events or even you talked about, I think in one of the books, it being at ESPN and, and you're working and your dad's calling you and it's creating a, an instability um, at ESPN that it had created at home. And it's kind of in those areas. And then did, did, were you able to relate that then with the Heavenly Father then that, that brings stability to our lives? That is the rock. And, um, and did that, was that in the process of forgiving your dad? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, you mentioned that, you know, being at ESPN, imagine being at ESPN and you're getting ready for, you know, Monday night football 
and you're producing a show and then your dad calls five or six times drunk, you know, screaming. And my dad's a Giants fan and I'm a Cowboys fan. So it didn't help that our teams were like enemies in the NFL (laughs) and and it didn't help that they were playing that night. And now my dad is on a drinking binge and then calling me and screaming and yelling and the football is, you know, fueling his fire to say things that he probably would never say if he were sober. And, uh, and I'm hearing my dad on one end screaming and yelling at me. And I'm also trying to be a professional and produce a show at ESPN. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of one small snapshot of what this journey was like with him. You know, it didn't, it took me 11 years to really 12 years to really understand, um, about forgiveness, I think, because in the past, even after I became a Christian, I started reading about the idea that we need uh, forgiveness every day, and we ask for forgiveness, and God grants it to us. Uh, I've read about Matthew 18 and the parable of the unforgiving debtor, and I've read that you know the 70 times seven Jesus tells us to forgive every single time you know that we are wronged. But applying that into my life is a much different thing. For sure. And here's the difference I think in in what I thought was forgiveness and what I experienced in terms of being true forgiveness. I thought for many years when my when my dad would uh you know lash out at me or say something terrible and my dad was very abusive but it was mostly verbally abusive he was never physically abusive uh especially when we were kids but as we got older it was just all verbal um lashing that he would have he would say to us but my response uh when he was sober i would allow him back into my life so I would answer the call or I'd go see him at this gathering or whatever. And my dad lives in New York and I live in Connecticut. So we're a couple hours apart. So we didn't see each other too, too often. And he doesn't drive or anything like that. So it's not like he can just get in the car and come here. But we would, we would talk. And because I allowed him back into my life, I thought I viewed that as forgiving him. Hmm. But every single time my dad would get... Uh, angry at me, drinking, say things. My anger got so, so, uh, such, let's put it this way. It got to a level that where I would spew out right back at him. I would say things to him in the same way that he would say things to me. And the reason I would do that was because I wanted him to feel the pain that I was feeling. Hmm. I wanted him to, and I, that's obviously not right. And that's not, uh, the proper way to respond. Um, you know, Ephesians 4 talks about, Paul talks about letting all bitterness and anger be put away from us and to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. So he's talking about putting the anger and bitterness and letting it get all away. I didn't do that. I was just welcoming this anger. And the only way I could really get it out of my system wasn't to go to God, but it was to go to dad and say, you know what you just said? Well, I'm going to say it right back to you and I'm going to scream it even louder because I want you to hear what I'm hearing or feel what I'm feeling. That's very unhealthy, obviously, in the way to respond. And so it took my dad going to his lowest point in 2013, both with the alcohol, but then you combine that with depression, which he struggled with for about five years. Um, And when you put those two together, it's a recipe for disaster. And it it got really bad for my dad in 2013 to the point where he didn't want to live anymore. And you know, I got a call from a hospital thinking that, you know, my dad had checked himself back into a rehab again, which he had done multiple times or a detox center. But actually this call was that he had tried to end his life. Hmm. And, uh, and that was a hard one for me to hear. But when I think back, but at the time when I heard it, this tells you, Aaron, where we were in our relationship, I was sort of, um, 
I didn't have any reaction. I was yeah. kind of, I say stone face, but it wasn't just stone face. Like my whole body felt like stone. There was just no reaction. And, uh, you know, I felt bad that he had done that. I was glad that he had survived, which he obviously has, but I didn't have any feelings towards him. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, let me get in the car and run to be with my dad who is yeah. in, a, in the hospital. Like most people would be like, of course you would go run to be with your dad. That wasn't my reaction. My reaction was, well, and I hate admitting this, but it's true. Maybe this is the best thing that could happen to him. Hmm. Maybe him not living is actually better for him and better for all of us. I mean, that's, hmm. that's where my mind and how warped my mind was. But in that next week and over the next seven days, talking to my pastor, talking to other people in the faith, some good accountability brothers and sisters, even my own brother, Chris, and I realized this was not about my dad. This was never about my dad. The anger and the bitterness that I had was about, was about me. You know, I was the one stuck in chains. I was the one that was, you know, kind of sitting in this bondage and this brokenness. And, every, and if I could not forgive my dad, it wasn't because my dad had to do anything. It was because A, Jesus says we're supposed to forgive every time. And B, it was for me. Yeah. So forgiveness is never about the other person. Hmm. That's, that's the misnomer that I think a lot of us have. Because we try to hold these people hostage because of the wrong that they've committed to us. And yet we're the ones that are stuck yeah. in prison. Yeah, I love sure. the line. I think it's from Lewis Smedes who says to forgive is to set, to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner is me hmm. or you. And I say, Holy cow. When I read that, I'm like, that's, that's what I was doing. I was not forgiving my dad and I, I was the one in prison. Yeah. And so I had to come to a place and unfortunately it took to my dad to go to his lowest point for me to finally say, I forgive you, dad. Um, and it wasn't for him, you know, it wasn't that he deserved to be forgiven. Certainly he didn't, if you look at yeah. the past history, but it was because I needed to be free <laughs> hmm. and I needed to be obedient to who Christ said I was. And he says, listen, 70 times seven, like we are to forgive every single time. And, you know, Paul elicits that again in Ephesians four and various other places in the Bible and Colossians, that forgiveness is something that we need to do because God has forgiven us. Hmm. And it's almost like we're hypocrites, yeah. right, Aaron? When we don't forgive someone else and we call ourselves Christians, right. we're, we're basically putting a hand up yeah. to the face of God and to what Jesus did on the cross and saying, no, that doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm going to do what I want to do. Yes. And, uh, I tell you, I've never experienced more freedom in my relationship with the Lord until I said yes to forgiving my father. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm talking about my dad when I say my father and forgiving my dad for what he did. And um, that just changed everything for me personally. Yeah. Whether my dad got healthy right. or stopped drinking or our relationship reconciled, because forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation. Hmm. It just doesn't. Sometimes you got to forgive someone and that relationship is too damaged to reconcile. Yeah. Thankfully for us, we were able to reconcile, but it took a place where I had to forgive for me. Yeah. And then this process, which I also say, Aaron, forgiveness is a process. It takes, it's really a process that you live with for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's something I have to do every single day, not only with my relationship with God, but my relationship with my dad too, because he drives me nuts. Yeah. And sometimes those wounds kind of come back from what happened 30 yeah. years ago, but it's, it's not about my father. It's about me and, and being free with my relationship with the Lord. And that's, that's, that's forgiveness. That's good. I think if I'm probably going to butcher the, the quote, but it's, uh, 
unsurrendered um, pain is if we don't sur- uh, we don't surrender our pain to, to God, we end up transferring it to others. And I, mm. I just know that in my life, um, if I don't if I don't surrender it, it's not it's not easy to surrender. Um, but at the same time, if I don't, I end up transferring it to my family or to my friends or other people because it it's, it builds up inside of me and I and it, it comes out comes out somewhere. Jason, so before true. we before we jump into a question on leadership, just do you have any, I know you do. So wisdom, insight, discernment, maybe there's somebody that they just arrived on, on the place they're serving somewhere on the continent of Africa. And um, they thought that the wounds that they had with their, their father or their mother, brother, sister, someone that that was done. Now they're in a country, they're learning a new culture, learning a new language. And all of a sudden those wounds, as you said, they're, they're realizing there's a, there's some unresolved um, um, a pain there. Do you have any wisdom for them um, just to, to, to give encouragement for them today? Well, and it seems like the obvious piece of wisdom, but it's really truly seeking the Lord because mm-hmm. for me, I, I had to, and listen, I, I'm here I am telling a missionary to seek the Lord and they've already sought the Lord because they're a missionary, right? <laughs> so it kind of sounds like uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but you can do a lot of great things for the Lord, but still have some unfestered yeah. Uh, baggage inside that you need to kind of work through. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm still living through that today. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like I'm seeking the Lord and following him in my calling into ministry, into sports ministry. But yeah, I'm, I'm not, doesn't mean I'm this perfect Christian. In fact, I tell people, you know, if you let your ministry become God and replace your relationship with God, well, you've made your ministry as great as it is, right. you've made it an idol. That's true. And, uh, and that's not a good thing. You yeah. know, that is a sin. And we need to remember that our relationship with Christ comes first yeah. over all these other good things in our lives. And so, you know, that goes back to Matthew 6, seek first yeah. the kingdom. It really is about seeking God first. And my, my hope, my encouragement would be, if you're struggling with forgiving someone, yeah. um, seek the Lord. See what he has to say, because that's the hard part. But that's yeah. really where I think freedom can be found is when we seek the Lord, we see how God can sit his, set his son and have him be on a cross, looking down at the people who put him up there and saying, Father, forgive them for they don't yeah. know what they're doing. Yeah. And then if I see that example of Jesus and I look at that example of forgiveness and grace and all of these other words that you want to use, how in the world can I sit there and say, yeah. I can't forgive this person who said a few bad things about me? Yeah. And obviously those wounds are deep and I have difficult times. Um, you know, often difficult times trying to work through them. You know, sometimes the wounds aren't just um, verbal, they're physical, and there's been a lot of damage done. But look to the cross and look at Jesus, because I think when we see his example and remember the weight of the world that he took on his shoulders to go to that cross, we can then say, okay, well, you know what? Yeah, I can work through that. If yeah. Jesus can do it, you know, I, and, I, and I'm holding a grudge that I'm supposed to be Christ-like, that I'm not really doing what, what, uh, what I think Jesus would want me to do. Yeah. So that's, that's the best encouragement. No, I know a situa- situations are different for everybody, but I think seeking the Lord first, and again, it's cliche, it's maybe no, the obvious no. answer, but it's really a place where I think we all need to kind of go to. For sure. And uh, honestly, uh, sometimes we just need to hear it from somebody else. You know what I mean? And um, I think it's valuable to, to hear that. So you kind of shift a little bit, you know, as I read your book, uh, The Uniform of Leadership. Um, honestly, one of the biggest leadership lessons I've learned from you is hearing when you heard God and you may, took the courage to leave ESPN to go step out 
to me, as somebody looking from the outside in, that's like that's a leadership lesson because that took courage, um, that took faith, and uh, yeah, I just uh, can you just walk a little bit just to share a, a few minutes about that that major decision and taking the courage because for a sports guy, I love the West Virginia Mountaineers. I love sports. You'd think being at ESPN, man, that's like the dream job. That that's it. Yet when God nudged you and and called you, you didn't resist and say, well, I'm just going to sit here because this is the dream job that probably tons of men would want to and women would want to have. But you you followed that. (laughs) To me, that's a phenomenal lesson in leadership is to follow when God calls to follow it. Well, I wish I could say the second I heard God's voice, it was a no doubter and I was out. Let's go. (laughs) Um, But that's not exactly what happened. I don't think it is for Uh, anybody, but. Exactly, exactly. In fact, I think it's hard to decipher even that it is the voice of God when you make a call like that, you know, Um, because I've never heard an audible voice say to me, Jason, I'm calling you to sports ministry. It's time to go. Uh, I've never heard that. Um, But two years, so it was a two-year process. Two years before I left ESPN is when I started thinking, is this where God is going to want me to be for the rest of my career, we'll say. Not the rest of my life, but the rest of my career. And I, again, at the time I'm working on the NFL, I'm working in major league baseball and I'm working at ESPN in the sports, in the sports world. Like, come on. So I I understood (laughs) that my my job was, was a desirable one. And honestly, there weren't too many days where I didn't appreciate the job that I was doing. I loved my job. I really did. Uh, It paid well, of course, and had great benefits too. And that's always a nice little perk with that. But I loved my job and I would have done it for probably a lot less than what I was making when I left ESPN. Let's just be honest here uh, because it was such a great place to work and a great role that I had working in sports. But when, when I felt this nudge that maybe God wanted me to do more for him. Yeah. And that could have been staying at ESPN by the way, and just getting involved at church. But that's the real nudge that I kept feeling in my spirit was God saying, listen, I want you to do more for me. Like, come on, let's go. And um, I think we all feel that wherever we are, wherever we are, we all feel like we want to uh, please our father and we want to do more for him. Um, and sometimes that might feel like we need to read more, you know, and yeah. I'd have to spend more time with him. Do I need to be more intentional about my prayer life? Do I need to be more intentional about who I'm fellowshipping with, where I'm, you know, going to church on a regular basis? Do I need to just get back into church? So, Sometimes it means that, and other times it means making a leap from ESPN into uh, a place like sports ministry. And it, it was a process because I spent the majority of 2016 really just being what I call actively patient yeah. and spending time talking to people. Most of the people were believers, but not all of them, but just people in, in whether it was a leadership role, there was an author, a speaker, I talked to a few pastors just people building relationships with. That's really what I found in 2016 was uh, a great way for me to just see what's out there, talk to different people. All of these people, by the way, were outside of ESPN because I wanted to be intentional about, you know, not just talking to people that I worked with and building relationships with people outside of those four walls in Connecticut. And through that process, I made a many great relationships, including one with a guy named John Gordon, who wrote the forward to my book, uh, The Uniform of Leadership. And John is a leadership expert and has written tons of books on leadership. And so I made a relationship with him that continues to this day as a friendship. And he's really a mentor and just a great, uh, 
a great encouragement to me through building that relationship on a phone call in 2016. Wow. So in doing that, I just believed in being actively patient. What I mean by that is you're not sitting down just waiting for God to open up a door. You're actually going out there, building relationships, talking to people, and then seeing what door might open from God. And if it wasn't a door that was meant to open other than just building a relationship with someone, well, that's great. Yeah. But through those relationships, of course, a door opened. And that's where I got the call from a guy who I had spent some time talking to and learning from. His name is Steve Stenstrom. He is the president of Pro Athletes Outreach and the president of Sports Spectrum. Yeah. Uh, and Pro Athletes Outreach is a ministry that ministers to professional athletes. Sports Spectrum is uh, you know, a media ministry that through magazines and the website and now a podcast and some video content, we're able to tell the stories of sports and faith. And he comes to me and says, I have an opportunity for you. It's a 40% pay cut. There are no <laughs> benefits. There are, uh, it requires a lot more traveling. You have to go to Colorado about once a month. Uh, and, you know, there's no guarantees after, the, say, the first year or two that this will continue. But we believe that this is something that God is calling us to you. Yeah. And we want to make this, this opportunity available to you uh, to come work with us. And after I went to my wife and we spent a lot of time in prayer and a lot of talking back and forth, is <laughs> Aaron, you know this, if you go to your wife and say, listen, I think God is calling me away to something else and it's 40% less money than we're currently making. Uh, <laughs> that's when you have to really rely and trust on God, right? For sure. Uh, as I said, uh, frog, fully yeah. reliant on God. Like you have to do that. And that's where a lot of prayer came in. Um, but my spirit was at peace. And I can't tell you that I knew for sure that God was saying this was the opportunity. But as I told my wife, if I say yes to this, if it's not from God, it'll blow up in my face very quickly. Yeah. And it'll end quickly and I'll go back to working at ESPN or somewhere else and we'll, we'll figure this out. I said, but if it is from the Lord, the door is going to open and he's going to provide, he's going to make a way and it's going to continue to honor him. Yeah. So three and a half years later, Aaron... Yeah. I'm still doing it. And uh, two books later, opportunities yeah. to speak and travel around the country at conferences and continue to do work on Sports Spectrum. The Lord has swung the door wide open to yeah. things that I could never have imagined if I had stayed. And, yeah. uh, and that's where I know it's from God because yeah. the doors continue to open, the opportunities to honor him continue, and the work that we're doing is being heard and seen now by way more people than it was when we first started. So God is clearly using what we're doing to hopefully bring glory to his name, not to Sports Spectrum, not to me, not to Steve or anybody else in our ministry. We want God to be glorified, and we're just trying to walk in that obedience as we continue to, to do what we're doing. That's awesome. Well, I've heard that you were the, the, the nicest and the friendliest guy at ESPN, and I think I would add to that <laughs> tagline, um, the most courageous. Um, for one, sharing your story of your relationship with your father takes a ton of courage. And then to follow what God called you in the sports spectrum, also a sign of courage. So we'll add that to your tagline. The friendliest and the nicest guy at ESPN and now the, the most courageous um, to leave. So Jason- Aaron, I, there's 4,000 people at ESPN. So I don't, I don't know how we can identify me as the nicest, but no, I, I appreciate I've heard that. I've heard that. And it's, it speaks a lot. Um, it really does. I appreciate it, bro. I do. 
Jason, I've taken more of your time than um, than I asked for, and I appreciate it. And I know your time's valuable. Will you pray for the audience um, today that God will use um, your story of your relationship uh, of forgiveness and reconciliation with your dad um, to speak to them where they're at and um, just appreciate you so much. I would. Thank you for the opportunity. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that we can call you Father. Um, I start there and just awesome that you can... Uh, be glorified through even just a little conversation like this uh, between Aaron and myself. I thank you for Aaron. I thank you for the work that he's doing in ministry. Uh, and I thank you that he is literally uh, going into the world to preach your name. And, uh, and Lord, that looks different for all of us. And uh, for me, it means being here in Connecticut, sometimes going to Colorado. And for Aaron and others, going to Africa and, and all the nations around the world uh, to be able to just follow your call and to proclaim your name. And so God, I lift up all of those people that are listening right now, uh, those specifically that are missionaries. Uh, God, continue to bless them, continue to use them, continue to equip them, uh, give them wisdom, give them understanding uh, to continue to follow the call that you have placed on their life. Uh, Lord, I just pray that my little story, as I, I usually say, because it's just a little story, but it's not a, a little story if one person can be impacted. And uh, I pray for all the people listening that might have that same little story and maybe they don't feel like sharing or think that their story matters. God, their story matters, especially if it can point people back to you and if it can help one single person. And we need to tell it. And so, Lord, I thank you that you have given me a chance to tell my story. And I pray that you use it and continue to use it to point people back to you, not to me, not to any books I've written or anything that I've worked on with Sports Spectrum or even to this this specific podcast, Lord, but I, I pray that this time and anything that I could say or that Aaron could say would point people back to you. We thank you so much for your love and your grace. Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross and giving us a chance to, to have access, direct access to the Father and a chance to spend eternity with you. We're so grateful. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.